Welcome to the Empowered Homes podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to be a resource to connect church and home by growing strong families. Hey, this is Bobby. Today on the show, we have an interview with author, counselor, speaker, extraordinaire, Sissy Goff. She's written a ton of great books on parenting and families, and, and she's got over 25, I think 27 years of counseling experience. Um, but she's got a new book that uh, is out, and it's called Raising Worry-Free Girls. And as a dad of a five-year-old girl, it just hit me. Man, I want to know what this is about. It's just really, really good stuff. And the book is incredible. We also got our girls minister here at Kingsland. Kayla was on the show as well as one of our children's pastors, Maggie. She's on the show too. And they're both in this world. They work with girls day in and day out. I just wanted to get them on there just to be part of the conversation because it's uh, anxiety in our girls. It's, it just keeps getting greater and greater. So uh, we also have some resources on stress and worry and anxiety, depression, and all of those things on the empoweredhomes.org. So, Sissy, welcome. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be with y'all. It's gonna be gonna be fun. So, before we get rolling, just uh, Sissy, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your passions and hopes, dreams, all that good stuff. Well, you said a lot of um, why I'm here with y'all today, but I have been counseling girls and families for 27 years now, which wow. makes me feel really old, <laughs> but um, but really grateful to get to do that work and um, sit with them at a place called Daystar Counseling Ministries, as you said, that is this super cute little yellow house in the middle of Nashville where we have 13 counselors and 1,600 families, I think, currently that are coming to us for counseling. And, and we try to do counseling a little bit differently because we're working with kids. And, you know, sometimes it's a terrifying idea for us to go to counseling, but it especially is for kids. So our little yellow house is super warm and inviting and engaging. And then we have dogs that are a part of our staff. I get to take my dog to work with me I every day. I'm not fun. I know. Yes. Could you just, I mean, with kids, it's so disarming that yeah. that's often the first thing they see when they walk in. And so it is my great privilege to do that work. And then out of that, I get to write and speak and do different things like that and um, have written this book that I feel so passionate about because of where things are with our culture today. Yeah. So this book uh, coming out soon, just Tell us a little bit about it. Well, so I wrote two in tandem, but unfortunately one's not coming out till December, but there's one for parents called Raising Worry-Free Girls. And then there's one for elementary age girls that's coming out in December called Braver, Stronger, Smarter from that poo quote. You remember about yeah. your braver than he, that whole thing. That's and, awesome. and that one actually features Lucy and has a feelings chart with my dog, Lucy's faces and all these different things to kind of help make it fun for them. But, we just are, you know, with all these years of counseling kids, when I first started counseling, I mean, probably four out of every 20 kids I would see were battling worry and anxiety. And now, I mean, especially under the age of about 13, nine out of every 10 kids I see, that's what they're coming in for. And, and above 13, it's still probably six out of 10. And and statistically, mm. in our country, it's now one in four kids wow. are dealing with anxiety to some degree, and girls are twice as likely. And so it's just 
rampant. And I think I just sat with families so often and parents who were saying, help, what do we do? How can we make a difference that I decided I wanted to do something about it? And so got to write these two books. That's awesome. Um, well, Sissy, this is Kayla. And as Bobby introduced me, I'm the girls minister here on staff. And he, he talked a little bit about our culture. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's it's a gift. Um, but as, as you're talking about, and Bobby said, Katie's a really, it's a hard culture to grow up in just because of its competition. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pressure with school and, um, all their activities that they do outside of that. And so as a church at Kingsland, a big part of what we do is equip our parents to be the primary faith trainers in their home. We're a family church. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're just a B team to that. So how do we help? I, I guess a question is how do we help our parents recognize worry or anxiety in their girls? Well, I, you know, I, when I was getting ready to write these books, I read 23 books on anxiety. And so I feel like I walked around kind of twitchy myself for a while. (laughs) But one of the things I read that these people who aren't necessarily biblically based said was that parents are the biggest agent of change. And so even scripturally that that's y'all's foundation. I love that because my hope again in doing these books was that, that I would work myself out of a job really, and that there are so many things parents can do at home. And I think as a church that you all are supporting, that is such a gift to them. Mm-hmm. And on that note, it is, I mean, it's, it's hard for parents to recognize. And, and many of the families I sit with, they don't realize that's what's going on. I mean, sometimes it's, it's more obvious because kids will have like a lot of kids who will develop some kind of twitch or something, a tick over time that's anxiety-based, or you'll hear endless questions for them, from them about the schedule or about when are you leaving, when are you coming back, or even things like one of the most common issues I see girls that they start to get afraid of is throwing up. So it's mm-hmm. kind of with kids, I tell them it's a little bit like the one-loop roller coaster at the fair. There's something they get stuck in their head, and it gets over and over and over. And so if, as a parent, your child is looping about something, that is going to be worry or anxiety based. Hmm. And and the harder part of it too, is that often it's kids who are, and it's, it's what I say to girls in my office, like it's the smartest, kindest, most conscientious, try hard kind of kids that end up anxious. And so often they're doing great in school and the, the parent teacher conferences and what the parents are experiencing at home don't match up because they're delightful at school because they're working so hard and then they get in the car and have these, huge meltdowns because they're so angry because they've been storing it all up. And I think some of the pressure that y'all were talking about lends itself to that. Yeah. But that's definitely a part of it. So it's really hard to recognize. And statistically kids who are dealing with anxiety often don't get treatment for two years. It takes two years to even recognize that's what's going on. Wow. So that's part of why I love that y'all are even having this conversation. So as, you know, as a parent, I have a, a daughter, um, I've just, as you're talking, I'm thinking of Chandler May just in yeah. my head right now. Um, so and is she, she your oldest Bobby? She, she's my middle. So she just started kindergarten. No. Um, okay. And so kindergarten and all that, I mean, there was a, a moment at the first day where I dropped her off and I, I'm going out the, the door and she squeezes, like I turn around and I have a little 
lanky girl on my back of my leg and I was fine. Everything was great. I kneeled down. I hugged her. She got big tears in her eyes and I could just feel the anxiety coming off of her doing this new thing um, of of school. And I didn't, I was, I was fine. Mom was fine until then. And I'm just bawling, walking out to school like a, (laughs) like a fool. But uh, anyways, just thinking of her and me as a parent, like, are there things that parents do or, that you've seen or, or studied, like parents, do they add to the anxiety? Is there, um, you know, what, how do we affect their anxiety, if, if that makes sense? Well, you did great in that moment that you just kept moving. But, I mean, yes, I think inadvertently, because, I mean, one of the things is that the most commonly used responses to anxiety are escape and avoidance. Mm. And of course, as a parent, you love your child. And the first thing you want to do is pull them out of the situation or not make them have to do whatever it is. And so it's really so well-intentioned. I think sometimes the things that can make it harder for kids, because bottom line is to work through whatever the fear is that's coming up for them. They have to do the thing that makes them afraid. Hmm. So they just have to do the scary thing. But, But we talk a lot in the book about how to help them move towards that. But I think, I mean, in that moment, one of my favorite stories ever, a friend told me recently, she said, well, just a quote she said, but we were sitting around talking about growing up. And she said, you know, I realized recently that I wish that when I was growing up, my mom had said to me, you've got this more than let me get this for you. Mm. And I think that's such a piece of it is, and that's what you did with her when I'm sure you had to pull yeah. her off your leg and you were basically saying, you got this, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And for us to continue to, to communicate that kind of message to them is really empowering because kind of the definition I came up with for anxiety is that it's always an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. So as much as we can help her feel like she's stronger than that and she can fight it and she, she got it, you know, mm. that we just want to keep saying things like that to her. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I remember she getting her back to her, her table. They had Play-Doh out for the first day and she didn't have, there was no Play-Doh in her uh, little jar. So she's like mm-hmm. about to lose it. And I just looked at her and I said, look behind you. There's a big old pile of them. And I was like, just go switch it out. You got it. You got it. And she got it. Yeah. She turned around, she pulled out the Play-Doh and then I walked out and it was Man, just that's that's those are powerful words to you know bless our kids uh, with mm-hmm. with you know especially my young kids that they, yeah. that they value what I say and how I speak to them and speak into them and, right and every parent right like you you could bless yeah. or curse your kids with your words and so just telling them you got this man that's huge that's yeah. awesome yeah that's awesome reminding them of who they are in Christ really it's yeah. kind of their identity yeah. Make you be capable, yeah. Well, Sissy, um, this is Maggie, and I am one of our children's ministers. Hi. Um, So I work with our first through fifth graders, um, and one of the things that we run into a lot is they're um, just learning sort of how to get language to express their emotions. And so I know in your book you talk about the concept of um, taking a child's worry temperature, so can you just yeah. sort of walk us through what that looks like for a parent? Yes. And I, I think probably there's two things that go with that. One is you want to start with just having them talk about their feelings regularly. Like I think 
every family really needs to have a feelings chart somewhere in your house where you're talking about, (laughs) you know, sadness or anger or all those different things. Because one of one of the universal truths that I've discovered with girls who worry a lot is that often because they're such, such kind, conscientious kids, they don't feel like it's okay to be angry mm-hmm. or yes. disappointed or even have their feelings hurt. And so they bottle all that up and it comes out as worry. And so I think that's always where we want to start is giving them a place to talk about those feelings is so important. And then, and especially in the little girls book, I have this thermometer and there's one in the adult book too, but where they can say on a one to 10 scale, where is their worry? How significant is it at that point for them? And then you want to do things that help them come back down from the scale. And so that just gives them a sense of being able to put words to it. Because, I mean, I think we all know grownups who never learn to put words to their emotions mm-hmm. and the intensity they feel them and, and how dysfunctional that gets as they get older and how it manifests itself in depression and all these different things. And so we're teaching them skills that will enhance not only their personal lives but their marriages and their adult friendships and their workplace friendships relationships all of that I love that and I love that the thermometer is a visual and so that the child can look at it and that's great yeah and especially for little ones and and you probably know that but the average age of onset is somewhere between six and eight Mm-hmm. And so they're so young that they need visuals to build a attach to and describe what's going on because often they don't have words to it yet, right. which is why a lot of parents won't even talk about anxiety. They'll talk about anger is how mm-hmm. it's coming out with your kids. Yeah. Well, Susie, with working with junior high and high school students, it's a little bit different ball game, right? Because yeah. they're able yeah. to express and they're <laughs> find their words yeah. in much different ways than kids maybe can't. Um, and so, phrases that I hear from girls often is just how stressed out or how the the word anxious or anxiety or panic attacks or fear. Um, it comes Mm -hmm. up a lot. It comes up with their school, uh, you know, we mentioned their school stuff, but also just with their own personal lives or their dating lives or their home lives. There's just a lot of avenues to that. And I even went through some of that. Yeah. All of it, um, later off Mm -hmm. into college that that's when I first started experiencing. So I guess a question I have for you is just that relationship you know, kind of clearly defining what is the difference between worry? When is, where's the root of that fear? And then when, you know, in anxiety, I guess, like the three. That's such a great question. Um, And, and one of the things, and I would imagine you're experiencing this too, but I am honestly kind of staggered by the amount of kids I sit with now who will, I mean, this is probably 12 and up who will sit down and say to me, I have PTSD. Or, you know, yes. your kids saying all the time, I'm having panic attacks. And I Everyone's think, had a panic attack. I don't even know what PTSD is. Yeah. 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 Which I'm not going to sound very kind, but sometimes I'll say, okay, so no one can breathe when they cry hard. That's not really a panic attack. <laughs> That's a normal thing. But I think part of what's happening is everything culturally is so intense today that it's like for someone to hear me, I have to use these really big words. Mm-hmm. I had a group of high school kids say that mm-hmm. to me, like, if you were to turn to somebody at school and say, I'm really stressed out, no one would care. They only listen to you if you say, I have anxiety or I have PTSD or I had a panic attack or something like that. And so, which is part of why we want to go back early to the words and the feelings charts and the um, thermometers and all those things. But back to your initial question, I got off track. So worry to anxiety. I mean, I think when a child is going to 
lean toward worry if they're that like conscientious perfectionist. They're going to just be a little bit of a worrier. But worries, the thing about them is they come and go. And so I'm a little bit worried about that. But whenever the situation rectifies itself or something shifts, then I'm not thinking about it anymore. But but it's back to that one leap or looking for the fear. I would say it's more anxiety when they're looping in it. They get stuck mm-hmm. and they have the same thought that goes over and over and over in their heads. And, you know, we could talk about development and how, like I said, with younger ones, it's often being separate from parents or throwing up dogs, something like that. And then older, it's often relationships. It's embarrassing themselves, you know, kind of the worst thing they can imagine happening at their age. That's what they get stuck in the one loop about Mm. sexuality. And, and I think they're exposed to so much more that we have a lot of kids who are fearful about the things that they're hearing about that are scary. And so I have kids sometimes who aren't necessarily suicidal, but they hear about suicide, they thought about, they had a passing thought, and now all of a sudden they're stuck and looping about it. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that's where I think if we're starting to see some real patterns of anxiety, we want to do things like, I mean, I think at this point, if a parent called me, I have historically said, I want you to read this book first, if that doesn't help, so kind of, that's your first pass, or do some practical things you can do at home, if that doesn't help, you bring them to see a counselor, let the counselor be your backup and do some things with them. If that doesn't help, that's when you talk about that. May, it may be that they need some type of medication or something like that. Wow. So just bringing up medication, I think that gets thrown around a lot with the mm-hmm. moms and just different people that I work with, especially with adults. Um, there's guilt and shame that comes with that. Like, yeah. is, is there with kids, like what's the, like, what's the youngest, you know, kids do need medication and kind of your take on that? You know, my experience is that it's good to always use it as a last resort, Mm. that you want to start in other places first. And I do see families who that's where they start, which that's concerning to me as kids grow up is thinking that's what's going to make the difference. But the reality is, that there is a point, like one of the things that happens with anxiety that really is happening neurologically for them is, you know, for any of us, when we're calm and doing okay, we have blood flowing all throughout our brain. And then when we get anxious, the blood shifts from the prefrontal cortex, which helps us manage our emotions and think rationally. And it goes to the amygdala and the amygdala is fight or flight, which is why parents will say, I can't talk her out of it. I can't reason with her because that part of her brain that reasons isn't working. Mm. And if that happens enough, the amygdala gets enlarged. And so they can't help themselves, but it just automatically, they have this fight or flight response. And so that's when, you know, you try all these different techniques and a lot of tools, which there are some really good practical tools you can do to help with anxiety. And when you try those things and it's not working, that's because it's become a neurochemical thing in their brain. And at that point, someone said to me once that, um, that antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, which are often the same are like a jumper cable in their brain. Mm. And it just gets going what can't get going on its own. And that's sure been my experience. And then I think with kids, you want to get them on it and get them off pretty quickly. As soon as it started to do its work, if at all possible. 
But I don't think, I mean, I, I know parents feel a lot of fear and a lot of shame, but I also think, you know, sometimes the child will start anxious. They'll move to some depression. And with the rates of suicide being what they are mm. in America today, I just don't think we want to play around with it. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, too, so, how you, you included, I mean, I think it's important to, always observe the other options you have to, you know, getting them in, yeah. you know, with their parents, having them come to counseling and talking, but then also being open to the reality of what's happening in whoever that person's life is, whatever they're experiencing to meet their need in that moment. Um, right. I, I guess a question too I'd have for you is um, when you're talking through anxiety and fear and certain kids are maybe more prone to anxiety or to fear, um, than other personality types or ever, however you want to define it. But would you say mm -hmm. that anxiety can be fully cured, I guess, if that's a way to state it? Um, uh, that's such a hard question. Uh, no. I mean, because I think it's based so much on personality. Um, like, I think the adults in the world who are walking around that are type A personality types, I think we all are anxious. I think we all have some degree of anxiety and becoming type A is how we learn to manage our anxiety. And so the person who tries hard is kind of perfectionistic. You're, I'm that personality type. You're never going to make me laid back. I wish to goodness I could be laid back, but I'm just not going to be. It's just who I am. And so I think for kids, they're never going to stop caring. But what we want to help them see is, those things about who they are are huge gifts that God gave them. Like it is awesome that he made them to care so much and be aware and try hard for things to matter. I mean, those are all, that's the braver, stronger, smarter idea. They are all those things. Yeah. But they, when they're anxious, they experience more the flip side of it as they can't turn the volume down hmm. on how much they care and how much they think. Yeah. And so we just want to help them learn to do that. And that's great too, because in all that you can surrender that over to, to Christ and your fear and anxiety. Fortunately, we have someone who can take that. Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. Good. And I think kids are not, I mean, I don't know what really is going on, but my experience as a counselor in the last probably eight years is that I don't think kids know how to overlay their faith over their emotions. Like I, I think they live in two totally different realms and so I think that's part of what's made anxiety worse is they mm. don't have yeah. this bottom line sense of trust that God's, God's got them and taking mm. care of them and going to protect them. Wow. That's huge. So yeah. for us, you know, we work um, and we create spaces with student ministry, children's ministry. Um, like what are some specific ways adults can create security for anxious girls that we have in our ministries? create security in the church or at home or yeah in the, it, well, or, it, let's go in the church like you know our ministry settings that we have for students or, or children how do we create like that this is a safe place for them to come to other caring adults does that make sense yeah yeah well i mean i think for them to always feel like they can talk about whatever's happening inside of them um would be the place i would always start that we always want to start with a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion and listening um, because often they think something's wrong with them. And so there's a lot of shame for them. And especially like you all said about Katie in a culture that's really pressurized and competitive, they're going to feel like it's not okay to feel this way. And nobody else is feeling that way. And so 
to feel like they have safe grown-ups in their life that they can come and talk to, I think is really important and that are cheering them on. I mean, that are continuing to give them messages like you really are brave and you're capable and you're strong and you're smart and God has gifted you in so many ways that we just keep pumping those messages into them. Um, Mm. But it's him, it's not them. You know, I think that can take some of the pressure off too. And, and then I think one of the other really important things for, for you all to be able to do in your church, but also at home, one of the things we want to do is we want to separate worry out. And so like in the book, I talk about giving it a name, like the worry monster is a name. A lot of people who work with kids use, um, but I encourage kids to name it, whatever they want to I have one little girl who named her Bob. I have another <laughs> who named her princess worry because she said she's the queen, which I love that. She yeah. feels empowered over the word. But I think, you know, they hear that voice in their head and they think it's true. Mm. And so to be able to separate it out. And then when a child comes to you, say you're, you know, with the children's ministry and you're, you've got whatever age kids. And one of them comes to you and says, when are my mom and dad coming? And they come back five minutes later, when are my mom and dad coming? Then eventually you say, now, sweetheart, is that worry talking or is that you? Because mm. what do you want to say back to worry? That's good. Wow. Where you're helping them develop their own voice and separating it out. Like, mm. that's not me. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not listening to you. Worry mm. monster or Bob or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't like, I don't like that one. Uh, that's, that's my name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think, oh, sissy, thank you so much. Um, we only got a few You're more so moments. Welcome. I've got a one last question, but um, okay. your book uh, will be anywhere books are sold and we'll have links attached to this podcast for anybody listening, wanting uh, more information on uh, this book and, and the one coming out in December as well. Uh, here's our last question. Thank you. If a parent listened to this, what is one thing they can do tonight in their home? Like what's one thing practical, something that they can do that like, what's your go-to advice that you would give a parent? I would say um, create places of quiet and safety. And like you were talking about creating spaces like that, I would say create a literal place because I think part of the problem is we're doing too much Mm. and they're moving too fast and they feel really overwhelmed. So I would make sure you have 20 minutes a day that you're sitting in the quiet with your kids and you're listening to their heart and you're praying with them. Mm. And that you're taking them back to scripture about their worry. And that's, I think it's so important for kids to memorize scripture. It's the last chapter of the book is just filled with verses about worry. And and I have kids memorize those so they can say them back to themselves over and over and over to battle those looping thoughts. But I think to create that kind of warm, nurturing engagement where you can remind them of who they are and that they can do this, Mm. I think is one of the best things to be able to do tonight. That's great. Man, incredible stuff. Sissy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, we are excited to, to get our hands on the book and, and get our hands uh, get the book in the hands of our parents. Uh, if you're listening and you want more information about anxiety, fear, worry, any of this stuff, um, you can go to empoweredhomes.org. We'll have resources available there as well as links to uh, all of Sissy's books and her content. It's really great stuff. Sissy, thank you so much. Thank you so much, you guys. Great to meet you all three. Nice to meet you too. too. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Empowered Homes podcast. For more content and information to connect church and home, please visit empoweredhomes.org.